everything we do is to achieve some kind of goal. Our behavior is entirely determined by trying to attain some sort of objective. And these objectives can be really small and discreet, like picking up a glass of water, all the way to larger and difficult to achieve in a single step, like wanting to be perceived to be an honest person. And when you start thinking about the ways that we implement goals, you realize that we do it all the time, pretty much everywhere. In the workplace, we are set goals to achieve by the end of the year in terms of sales, but we also set other kinds of goals like New Year's resolutions. This year, I want to exercise more. But the thing is, goals often don't work the way we expect them to. We don't achieve them in the timeline that we want to achieve them. And sometimes we just drop off after a month of going to the gym and never do it again. And that doesn't necessarily mean that goals don't work. In fact, there's research on a theory called goal setting that suggests that goals work and they work really well. We just happen to be designing goals the wrong way. I'm Jose Espinoza. I'm Nicholas Bremner. And you're listening to Mind Your Work, a podcast about social science and work and what happens when you put these things together. Today's episode is all about goals. We're going to talk about why goals are so powerful, how they help us achieve things. We're going to talk about some of the limitations behind goals, how to set good goals. But let's start off by what makes goals so so powerful. How do they work? Um, how do they actually motivate us to achieve the outcome we're seeking? So goal setting theory suggests that there are actually four different dimensions or mechanisms that goals operate in to help us achieve something. So first, they actually direct your effort or attention. If you have a goal to, let's say, become a manager in your workplace, you're going to start changing your behavior or directing your effort in a new way in order to try and attain that goal. They're also energizing in the sense that they create motivation. They spur your action towards that achievement. A third thing is that because goals are future-oriented, they affect your persistence as well. In order to actually attain something in the future, you have to remain committed to it over time. And when you set a goal, it enables you to direct your effort in a consistent way to actually achieve that. And the fourth mechanism, and it's an interesting one that came out in the research, is that when you set a goal to achieve something and you don't necessarily know all the immediate steps or all the clear steps to actually get you to that point, research has found that people actually create strategies and apply knowledge and innovate in order to achieve those goals, particularly when those goals are difficult. So goals work by directing behavior, but that doesn't really explain why some goals work and why some don't, why some people achieve their goals and why others don't. Goal setting theory proposes that better goals can be put together if you make them smart. And that's an acronym for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. Now that is a lot to remember, but we're going to describe them in detail and hopefully that'll help you understand exactly what we mean. So the first characteristic of a good goal is that it should be specific. Many people don't achieve their goals because they haven't actually formulated a goal that is specific enough. If you take the classic New Year's resolution, someone might say, oh, I want to lose weight this year. Okay, well, you haven't really set a specific goal. How much weight do you want to lose? Right. A good goal is also measurable. And if you make your goal specific enough, if you say, I want to lose 20 pounds, now you have found a way to actually measure your progress, to find out how you're getting there. Exactly how far along am I away from my ultimate objective? The third aspect of a good goal is that it's actually attainable. For example, 
if I want to become a manager next week and I just started at my job, that's probably not something that's attainable. And as a result, that goal is not going to be motivating because you know you're not going to achieve it. So setting a goal that's actually attainable, something that pushes you to the edge of your performance and really encourages you to try hard, but you can still see yourself achieving is another important aspect of setting goals. You should also make sure the goal is relevant to you. And that might be a little hard to understand considering that, hey, if you're setting a goal, that's probably going to be something you care about. But that's the key. It should be a goal that you care about, that has value to you. So whatever goal you end up picking, however you decide to specify that and how you're going to measure it, make sure it's something that you actually want to achieve. Another context where relevance actually comes into play and I think is really important is when you're setting a goal for someone else. So in a work environment, if you're a manager and you're setting a goal for your employee, you need to really make sure that that goal is relevant to A, the business, and then B, the employee as well, to actually motivate them to achieve it. So think about how it's benefiting the business, maybe the bottom line, um, and how it's benefiting the employee. Is the employee going to be up for promotion if they achieve this goal? Um, How is it going to benefit them? Research actually found that when you provide an employee with a goal and don't necessarily let them participate in the setting of that goal, as long as you can explain with you know clear rationale as to why that goal is important, then it will actually spur performance. The employee will do better at it. The last thing you should make sure to do is make sure your goals are time-bound. And all that means is make sure you have a timeline in terms of when you want to achieve this goal, when it should be done by. We all love to procrastinate. And if we don't give ourselves a period of time to attain a goal by, we're just going to let it languish. It's going to keep falling back to the end of the line. We're going to keep putting it on the back burner. And ultimately, it doesn't matter how specific, how measurable, how attainable, or how relevant the goal is to you, you're unlikely to achieve it. So we've established that goals should be specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound, or SMART. And I'm sure that some of you have heard this acronym before. So the SMART framework is a great way of setting goals. And if it's done properly, you're going to set goals that are going to help you achieve really high levels of performance. But oftentimes they're misapplied. And we're going to talk about some of the examples or, or ways in which this typically happens. So one way in which the the SMART framework can be kind of misapplied is in terms of the specificity and measurability components. So if you are really metrics focused, there's there's a possibility that you're going to choose the wrong metric and it can actually have unintended consequences of, of performance. So let's, let's take a call center, for example. A common classic metric used in call centers is time it takes to serve a customer or wait times. So if you have the ultimate goal of saying, okay, we want to serve 5,000 customers today, And the implicit assumption there is that if we serve more people, um, we're going to have more satisfied customers because everyone's going to get their call answered. And if you operationalize that or measure that as average call time and say, okay, we want to decrease our our call time to a maximum of two minutes per call. The unintended consequence of that, and this has been borne out in research, is that employees in an effort to reach those metrics are going to actually sacrifice call quality and provide poorer service to customers to ensure their call time is on or at or below two minutes. 
So choosing the appropriate metric is, is kind of a delicate process. And oftentimes it's actually good to choose multiple metrics so you're not focusing on a single area too much. A second major misapplication with SMART goals comes down to attainability. Sometimes you set goals that are too easily attainable. And sometimes you can set goals that are too difficult. And really it becomes a, a, a bit about walking a tightrope. You want to set a goal that allows you to be at the limits of your attainability, allows you to be at the limits of your skill or the skill of the employees that you're working with. Goals of this nature, goals that are really difficult, but nonetheless are something that the person can achieve, tend to spur performance. They tend to spur a person to find new ways to actually achieve the goal rather than discouraging them. If a goal is so clearly out of someone's range of abilities, it basically stops them from really pursuing any new ideas as they realize that there's no way that they could have ever accomplished this. On the other hand, if you make a goal too attainable, it's too easy, you're ultimately going to make a person rely on the same set of strategies and the same set of behaviors as they've always done to just perform as usual. There's a classic study that does a really good job of explaining how setting difficult goals leads to higher performance in sometimes unexpected ways. There was a logging company that was seeking to increase profitability by setting harder goals for their truckers, essentially related to carrying more logs on the road to make uh, loads more efficient. And so researchers ran a study in this company and they allowed one group of truckers to just kind of do their best and load the truck up to whatever capacity they felt, they felt comfortable with. With another group, they actually instructed them to fill their truck up to 90% of the legal capacity they were actually able to carry for one load. The surprising result of this is that truckers who were instructed to do their best actually didn't do their best and loaded their truck up to about 60% of capacity, where those who were instructed to actually achieve that 90% mark, something that is pretty close to the maximum, very difficult to attain, actually came up with innovative strategies to handle that larger load capacity. And while that study is really interesting, you might think, well, yes, that applies to truckers in the logging operation. What does that have to do with basically any other job? The best part about this study is that it turns out that those kinds of findings are pretty robust. They replicate across different jobs and across industries. And they're not just for jobs that have countable objectives, things like filling up your load capacity or selling the most cars. They actually also work for jobs that have more qualitative types of goals. Okay, so we've covered a lot of the, the main aspects of goal setting, the, the main ingredients you need. Um, we've talked about some of the, the pitfalls, I guess, people fall for when you're, when you're setting goals, but let's kind of broaden the conversation a little bit and talk about other things you need when setting a good goal, um, things that, you know, that are important, like you need confidence, for example, um, or what we call self-efficacy in the literature. So basically, researchers found that, well, you're not going to achieve a goal because you're confident. Confidence helps kind of instill energy and engagement towards a goal. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I, so I think really the key about it is that you need to be confident that you can do the things you need to attain the goal. So it can be very easy to set a goal that is attainable objectively. It's something that you can do. But if you don't feel your confidence in the strategies that you need to, to basically undertake to achieve a goal, you're probably not going to be able to do it, even if you objectively anybody from the outside looking in can see that this is something that you can do. 
Yeah. An, an interesting thing actually um, that comes to mind is that as a manager, if you're setting a goal for an employee, the simple act of setting a very difficult goal communicates that manager's confidence in the employee that they can do it. And that actually raises self-confidence or self-efficacy to achieve the goal, which is pretty cool. There's something called the Pygmalion effect, which is a finding from like US military research showing that when a leader actually communicates positive expectations of their, their subordinates saying like, yeah, you can do it. I believe in you. Even if that person doesn't have the ability and they just kind of over communicate confidence in that person, their performance actually goes up. In relation to that, um, you talked about the notion of, well, providing positive feedback in the sense of, I believe in you, you can, uh, can achieve this goal. I think an important aspect of this too, is the notion that goal setting requires that the person gets feedback in order to achieve the goal. So even though sometimes we spent a lot of effort measuring appropriately, making sure that we know exactly what we need to decide whether the goal was achieved or not, we're not necessarily very good at providing that kind of information back to the person who is supposed to be trying to attain the goal. So providing feedback, whether it's verbal from the manager or the person who is giving out the goal or providing the numeric feedback in terms of the measurables, how far along are you to your actual objective is a really important way to make sure that people stay motivated, they stay persistent in trying to achieve the goal. And so we've been discussing goals in terms of, uh, you know, single goals or, or measuring a single objective. Um, but it is important to take into account kind of a, a broader array of, of priorities, right? And so there's this concept called um, objectives and, and key results or OKRs, which stands for objectives and key results. And so it's a, it's a goal system that uh, was originally pioneered in, pioneered in Intel and it was adopted by Google, I think in the late nineties. Uh, and it's been a successful approach and it's spread throughout other, other organizations in tech and outside of tech. And what, what, what's different, I guess, about OKRs um, as compared to like regular goal setting is, yeah, they're, they're specific, they're measurable. So the, the formula is something like, I will do this as measured by these things. So you have that measurability component, you have that, you have that specificity component. But the difference is that you actually, you know, revisit these. So you're, you're, you're going back and you're updating them. But then also you're actually looking at where your goals or where your OKRs fit in, in the greater constellation or the greater context of the organization um, and making sure that it fits within a broader strategic framework. Um, and this kind of prevents that that whole goal myopia concept that, that we're talking about here, where you become productivity focused at the expense of other things. So if I'm understanding this correctly, OKRs are different in the sense that goal setting theory we often apply it at the individual level, maybe at an individual person or individual team, but OKR provides a way to do this from a broader perspective, from the perspective of the organization and allowing that to be the way we set goals all the way down, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's important to make sure that the strategy or the, the main purpose of the organization is actually aligned with uh, goals at the departmental level or at the, the group level or team level all the way down to the individual. And this, I think this actually helps with relevance as well, because, you know, we both know that task significance, like knowing that your, your work has meaning is higher. It's better when you have a really clear link between what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and the overall purpose of the organization. You know, how you contribute to the big picture is very important. And I think part of the reason why OKRs have been so successful is because they've actually help people establish this link, help establish a measurable link between what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and what the organization is doing and how it's affecting society as a whole. And it, it also sounds like OKRs tend to be more flexible in the sense that while they do 
suggest what the goals of the organization are and what we're trying to achieve. They allow for basically modification in terms of how what you're doing further down the line, like you said, at the departmental level or at the team level to achieve these goals. They're not specifically setting the goals for you. They're telling these are the things we care about and how we contribute in this team or at this in this office in particular to those goals can be modified. Yeah, exactly. And it gives people more kind of authority or autonomy in terms of defining their own goals and, and obviously making sure they align. But uh, I think you have more personal relevance there too, in terms of you can potentially, depending on the job, obviously, choose how you want to actually contribute to the broader organizational mission. I think that's really interesting. And I wanted to maybe present that next to another set of, of findings in terms of what happens if you don't do this, if you don't allow goals to be modified at a more individual or team level, and instead you start only rewarding a certain kind of thing. Yeah. So thinking about um, you know motivating individual performance, a, a really common strategy is like the pay for performance strategy, right? So the more work someone does or the more products someone creates on an, on an individual level, they get more rewards for that. They get a piece rate um, for their work. And so there's research saying that this is really motivational and which is great, but sometimes this can actually kind of undermine the broader context, the broader goals of the organization. So there's a company called Humanize that actually has, uh, they specialize in wearables. They're an analytics company. And so employees can can wear these badges or I think they have wristbands as well. I'm not, I'm not sure, but they put these on and they can actually uh, track the whereabouts um, and the actions that employees are taking, which is kind of creepy and big brother-like, but this is where things are headed. And so Humanize says that we don't actually, or, or they, they don't actually track the content of these conversations, but they actually track the the movement of people and they can tell through something called organizational network analysis, you know, who's talking to who, which people are more kind of hubs of the network, who who speaks to more people, who who has more influence. And in their research, they, they did a study where they were looking at IT workers and these their, their job was to configure servers. Um, and so their, their tasks took anywhere between, I think, like eight minutes and in eight hours, like it was, it was a great range. And so through organizational network analysis, they actually found that there were a select group of individuals, like individual contributors who were at the same level as the other employees, but that employees kind of came to very frequently. They were kind of communication hubs. And so they hypothesized that these individuals were actually providing advice or, or mentorship to those other employees. And they found that when people went to these, uh, these informal experts, as they, as they called them, their, um, their time to complete their tasks, to set up these mainframes was cut to a third of the original time. But, and, and so these people would actually make more money because they would be able to set up these, these, frame, uh, these, these mainframes faster because they were compensated on a, on a piece rate basis. But the counterintuitive thing is that the people who were being come to for advice spent more time communicating and less time actually doing uh, their job that they were paid for. So they were actually paid less than the people who were coming to them for advice. And this is obviously, you know, counterintuitive, right? I, you know, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I just, I really like this example because what's interesting from the organization's point of view, they pretty much did everything right when it comes to smart goals, right? They set a really specific goal. You're going to set up a mainframe. It's a project that we understand. It's measurable. It's done when it's done. It's attainable. You've done it before. It's relevant. It has value to you. It's time bound. It usually takes this much time to do this. And if you do more, you get paid more, et cetera. They did everything right. And it seems to be the, the, the tiny hitch 
in the entire system that otherwise we wouldn't see unless we do this organizational network analysis is that there is a group of people that are not being rewarded for a set of behaviors that help achieve these goals. And we're just not accounting for it. I, I find that's a really interesting perspective on how we should set goals. They did everything right. But I think that as we have improved ways of measuring things, we're going to be able to uncover certain ways in which people are contributing to the performance of the company that we really couldn't measure before, right? I mean, you know, how do you measure how many conversations uh, John has with the rest of the team, right? You, this is previously done through like performance reviews or asking like, you know, 360 evaluations or peer evaluations of that person's performance and saying, oh, John's a great communicator. He's a great mentor, et cetera, et cetera. And he might get a bonus based on that. But we actually haven't really had until now a great way of actually quantifying that, of measuring that, you know, how many conversations is this employee having? Um, And then we could potentially reward people for being mentors. So it really just kind of taps into like, A, can we measure these things? And then B, like, what is the broader goal of the organization too? Is it to maximize like mainframe setup over time? Uh, And if that's the case, cool. But like, let's look at some other pieces like, hey, how is communication helping speed this along and helping reduce uh, setup time. Right. So we're not necessarily saying that the setting up mainframes as our objective, as our key result, I guess we could put it, is not necessarily bad. It just means the ways that we are essentially assessing whether someone contributed to that goal or not might be lacking. And over time, we're going to figure out more ways to look at those other aspects. Right, exactly. Um, and you know the, the consequence of of not paying people as much like think think about you know if, if i was in that person's shoes who you know I'm, I'm acting as a mentor to all these different employees and i know they're getting more than me how is that going to affect my perceptions of like of fairness am i getting paid fairly i'm helping all these people i'm actually like i i know they're doing a better job because i'm talking to them what is that going to do to me you know i'm going to be I'm going to have a sense of unfairness. I might leave the organization. I might start working a little less hard. Maybe I enjoy teaching people. And so that's cool. That, that's going to keep me at the job. But if I don't feel like I'm being compensated fairly for, you know, what I'm doing, then, you know, that, that hurts the organization overall because they're losing an expert. Now, this is not homework, but we all have goals that we've been working on for a little while, and maybe we're not sure how far along we got to actually achieving them. What we want you to do is think about something like that. Think about something that you've already been working towards and just write yourself a couple sentences in relation to how close have you gotten to achieving that goal? How much progress have you made in the time since you set that goal? Now, set that aside, and we want you to look at an infographic we're going to put in the show notes for you. It's going to tell you how to use the SMART system to redesign that goal. Go through it step by step and you'll come up with a different version of that goal, something that you already care about achieving. Do that and then eventually, maybe once you've set a timeline for that, come back at the end and again, write yourself a couple sentences in terms of how close you got to achieving that goal. How much progress have you made? It might be a really good way to see what the differences are between a do your best, a vague goal, and a really specific SMART goal. This infographic actually is going to cover some stuff that uh, it'll have some additional tips that we didn't cover in today's episode as well. And so once you've you know gone through and set your goal and your your timelines elapsed, 
check in to see you know, how you're feeling now as you've been working on the goal in terms of confidence and how committed you feel. And then see how you feel afterwards in terms of you know, your self-efficacy. Like, do you feel like you could actually achieve a harder goal now? Do you feel like even more committed to you know, keeping this goal up or keeping this, this effort up? Let us know how it worked out. Send us a tweet at uh, mindyourwork.io. And if you're, you're interested in hearing more of our episodes, uh, we've got another really good episode on uh, the 9 to 5 Workday. If you haven't seen that one, you can check our website out at mindyourwork.io. Now, Nicholas and I have actually been working on another goal, and that's to try and get the podcast out to more listeners. We really want people to get a chance to hear all of the kinds of things that IO Research has found and how they might apply that as well. So we're actually also on Spotify now. So if you have any friends or anybody you know that might be interested in the podcast and they're not an iTunes person or a download a podcast person, they can find us on Spotify if they search for Mind Your Work with all of the words together. I'm Nicholas. I'm Jose. And we'll see you soon. And thanks for tuning in to our podcast. What is it? And um, we'll see you soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks for thanks for listening. Close enough.